This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free podcast series. I'm your host, Steve Dale, with veterinary boarded surgeon, Dr. Dennis Filbert. And uh, Dr. Filbert, thank you incidentally for joining me. And your wife is a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists. So you know I'm a fan right off the bat. <laughs> That's great. That's great. It's good to hear, yes. Tell yes me I'm who... married to a, to, a, to a diplomat of the American College of Vet Behaviorists, yes. And that is? Dr. Colleen Wilson. Yay! All right. So, sure. so uh, this is where I start. And you know what? As we talk and as we have, have a conversation here, my hope is that we'll also bring in a bit of behavior. You can't help but talk about that, I hope, after some number of years. How many years have you been married? Uh, you got me on guard here. 23 years, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We're both in trouble then. All right. I'm, yeah. I'm in trouble for asking, and you're in trouble for not knowing, perhaps. But we'll go with over 20 years. So over 20 years of exposure to behavior, even secondhand behavior, uh, I think it's an important part of what we're talking about. And when we talk about fear-free, and I personally talk about fear-free to surgeons, sometimes that surgeon kind of rolls his eyes or rolls her eyes and says, you know what, I got to go in, do what I do. I don't have time for that nonsense. You must have heard that. And then how do you reply? Well, yeah, we... We hear that commonly from from specialists, but also from from regular veterinarians, you know. And uh, uh, but really, at the end of the day, a lot of the you know a lot of the things we do, um, uh, you know, a lot of the things that are with uh, fear free is actually evidence based science, um, and that's an important thing to uh, you know to to remember. So there's medical reasons, scientific reason, and and so on, you know, uh, about about treating our patients better, and uh, and it's a way of doing better medicine in general. All right, I want to talk about some of those things. So if yes. you do the surgery, and then the patient probably is going to be in some discomfort or probably pain following the surgery, you're, you're supplying analgesics, of course, but how does fear-free tie into that? I would imagine that you can explain that there's demonstrative evidence that if the patient is anxious or worse, that healing is impacted by that, and the cycle of pain might actually be exaggerated. Right. And and I think that, I mean, fear-free, and if you apply fear-free, it, it starts from the moment that the pet leaves their house and come to your hospital. And, and let's say in this example here, you know, I'm a surgeon, so from the time he comes to the hospital where they have a surgery done and they recuperate after. And so we know, we've, you know, I've learned from all the people doing fear free and also from, from those diplomates, the, the, the behaviorists, um, that 80% of the patients that come to that hospital are actually fearful or anxious or stressed. Um, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, you know, that's a, a high percentage of our, of our patients. And when they come and see a specialist, it's no different. The dog doesn't know or the cat doesn't know that I'm a specialist, so they're not going to be less fearful. And, and they're going to come to a hospital where there's different scents and different animals and so on. And, and if people don't approach them properly, then it's going to increase, uh, you know, it's going to increase their stress and their fear. 
And uh, we know that animals that are fearful um, also are sensitized to pain. So, you know, so, so therefore surgeons do painful things so that they can come into the hospital and have a surgery and they're sensitized to pain. So already we want to address pain, but if we have an animal that's already sensitized, we need to decrease, you know, the fear, anxiety, and the stress so that we, it helps us control the pain. So is what I asked earlier true? Is even when we provide more than appropriate pain relief for our companion animals, or you do that, or your colleagues do that, veterinary nurses do that in the vet clinic, if the animal is fearful or worse, is then it almost a losing battle fighting that pain cycle, or at least unhelpful. Right. Certainly, it 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 doesn't help because uh, you know the fear and pain are somewhat related. So, um, when an animal is fearful or stressed, they're sensitized to pain, and so it gets harder to control pain. And uh, and and uh, and if they're more painful, they're more stressed as well. So you're kind of caught in this circle, and you can address just pain, but if you don't address stress, then then uh, then that's a problem. So I I, and, I believe that I I need your help here because I'm no expert in this. But here's what I know: that when animals are, are fearful, that cortisol levels go up. It's the stress hormone, right? Uh, but right. I've I've also read that, and this is your wheelhouse. That when animals are in pain, the same thing happens. The cortisol level goes up. Right, exactly. So, you know, in, in chronic pain, they have an increased cortisol. In acute pain, they have increased, increased catecholamines and, and norepinephrine and so on. And, and so there can be some immediate effect and some chronic effect. So, and the immediate effects certainly can affect, uh, uh, can affect the way that the dog or the cat is going to recuperate from an anesthetic, for example. So, you know, we do surgery. I bring in a dog for surgery and we're going to do stressful things. So even like a dog that's very calm normally, and, and we said before, 80% of the patients we see are scared coming in. And then we're going to take them and put them on a table, give them injection, put some catheters, do all sorts of things, and that's going to increase their stress. And what I've seen uh, in my practice is that I use a lot of trazodone, so so trazodone is an anxiolytic. So um, uh, I also use other types of anxiolytic, but I like trazodone. So, and what I've seen since I've used trazodone is that the animals are much more calm before the surgery, and anesthesiologists will tell you that actually this is a good thing because if they are less anxious, less scared, more calm, their sedation will work better. It'll be the effect of the sedation will be more predictable. The anesthesia over will be safer. And what I've observed a lot as well is that in the immediate post-op recovery, there's a certain percentage of dogs that or cats that right after surgery, when they're coming out of the anesthetic, they don't know where they are and they are literally freaking out, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they need extra drugs right there to calm them down. And I find that since I've used anxiolytic, you know, trazodone before before they even come to the vet. That's, that's the night before and the morning of surgery. And I see that I rarely have to use, uh, you know, emergency drugs right after an anesthetic when, the, you know, because I don't see these patients anymore and are waking up in panic. And, and so they're better before the surgery. They're better after the surgery. So, and, uh, you know, that's, that's very important for the job that we do. So in, and in order for us to do a good job.
How about better as far as recovery goes? So they're better immediately after the surgery, as you point out. Uh, yeah. we, we discussed that cycle of pain. What about recovery itself, I suppose? It depends on what the surgery happened to be for, because that plays a huge role in all of this, of course. But having said that, does the diminishment of fear, anxiety, and stress actually help the recovery process for that animal? Well, we know, for example, as you know, as scientists, that we talked about increased cortisol earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that that affects wound healing. So, you know, as a surgeon, I want good wound healing after, right? It's a pretty basic thing. So, uh, but also, uh, you know, yeah, if the, if the patient has a better experience overall at the vet, and, and we know that they're going to have to come back. They're going to have to come back for sutures. They're going to come have to come back for rechecks. They're going to have to come back, you know, I do a lot of dogs with knee problems. Knee problems are super frequent, and the most common reason for me to see them back is that they have the same problem in the other knee. (laughs) Yes. You know, so if we, if we take all that into consideration, the recovery itself and so on, if they've had a good experience the first time, well, then, you know, they're going to be better the second time. And we know that if, if a patient has a bad experience the first time, and when they come back, they have the same experience again, well, the way the brain works in dogs and Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm a surgeon. I'm not a behaviorist, but I've learned that from my wife. <laughs> you know, if they have a bad experience and they come back and they have another bad experience, well, guess what? Next time, they're going to be worse. And, and next time again, they're going to be worse. They're going sure. to react in a worse way because they, they'll know what's coming up, right? So, and if they had a good experience to start with and they continue to have good experience all the time, well, then everything is better. Better yeah. for them and better for us, too. In fact, I would argue that the amygdala magnifies that negative experience. So if it's negative five, I'm making up a number, I don't even know what negative five means, the first time, then it isn't negative six the next time, it's negative ten or some such thing. Exactly, exactly. Uh, now, and that's, 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 that's science again. So, so, you know, like often surgeons or other people, you know, think that, well, this fear-free stuff, it's just touchy-feely, you know, Things, but that's not what it is, really. It's evidence-based science, and that's very important, you know, to, to understand because it's it, uh, it affects everything, you know. It affects our patient assessment as well, right? So, uh, you know, I do a lot of orthopedic exams, and, and, and a lot of times a dog come in and, and the client says, well, my dog's not limping that right now in the hospital. Well, why is he not limping? Well, he's not limping because he's stressed, so it affects my assessment of the patient. And, you know, so there's, again, another medical aspect that's, that's affected by by the fear, anxiety, and stress. That's a very good point. So when the dog comes in, or cat, comes in to do that recheck, not only is it important, because you don't want that animal anxious, the owner doesn't want that, the client doesn't want that animal anxious, but, right. but for a practical reason for you to appropriately assess the difference that you made and where that animal is in recovery uh, is more difficult with fear, anxiety, and stress on board. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Yeah, exactly that. All right. So I want to go back to what surgeons have told me. Uh, And this is how I began the conversation, but I want to directly address this. That surgeons say, and I, I don't, yes, I do hear it from private practitioners in a different way because they're working, they're looking at their watch, they're working for time, and they believe mistakenly uh, that fear-free costs more time or that it's not worth the value 
of six more minutes or whatever it might be. But I'm, I'm talking specifically as a surgeon here. Surgeons have told me I've got to go in, I've got to get out, I've got to do the job to the best of my ability. I can't worry about all that fluffy stuff. And, and as I said, you, and you said yes, you've heard it from your colleagues who are surgeons. So I want to talk about the surgeon part of it. How can surgeons specifically, not the technicians afterwards by plugging in adaptal or feel away, which makes a difference. I'm not discounting that or having mm-hmm. appropriate music in the background. A surgeon doing your job, how can you apply that to Fear Free? Right. Well, uh, you know, from, you know, if we think of all the things that, that surgeons do, so I was, you know, talking a bit before about orthopedic exams, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, and, and, and for me, for example, I've basically what I've done is, you know, again, years ago, we learned to do an orthopedic exam. We would watch the dog walk around and, uh, or the cat. Good luck with having a cat walking around, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, and then, and then we would, uh, you know, put the dog on his side, have two or three people holding the dog while you're moving the legs around and, and, and wait for a pain reaction. And so, and it still does, you know, a lot of surgeons still do it that way nowadays, but, uh, you know, with the fear free in mind, I've changed the way I do my orthopedic exam. And, um, uh, you know, and I've done that because I think it benefits the patient, but I think it helps me as well localize pain better and, and, and do a better job at what I do. So, uh, you know, I, for example, if I have a dog that's fearful, I, I really try to minimize painful manipulation. I try to localize the pain. Of course, we all have to do that, but you know, you don't need to, once you localize the pain once or twice, you don't need to do it 18 times, you know, and it just increases the stress on, on the patient. Um, you know, I, I get uh, I get clients to take videos at home of their pet walking around and, and uh, you know, and I'm looking at a video in the exam room, uh, you know, is doesn't take any longer than, than sometimes going outside, you know, and, uh, and watching the dog walk and you know, and sometimes they they're not limping because they're too stressed, or or again we go back to the cat. Uh, you know, nothing worse than doing a, a looking at a cat walking in a hospital because they don't walk normally. They you know we want to see them. What are they doing at home? You know, how are they walking? So and and looking at a quick video on everybody has a camera phone now. Looking at a video on a you know on a phone is doesn't take any longer than it you know than trying to get the cat to walk around. You know, and so. So you know, so I guess I, it's all it's all feasible without without taking any extra time and and uh, you know and, and I you know and I'm not sure to me personally I think that the time is it, it's an excuse really like we're we're supposed to do our job to the best of you know of our ability and and uh, you know I would remind people and you know again I'm not here to make people feel bad but I think I want to educate people on this but also. You know, we we said as veterinarians are we're supposed to protect the animals' health and welfare and make sure that we prevent their suffering and so on. So when they have fear, anxiety, and stress, they are suffering. It's you know they're abnormal. So we need to do something about that. And 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 using the excuse of well we want to be in quick and out, quick in and out. Well, you know it's 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 not okay. It's I don't think it's okay to practice medicine that way. So we need to uh, acknowledge 
you know, the fear, anxiety, and stress because, you know, and then, and then address it. So. And, and going back to some of the things, so if we could wrap up everything in a little bowl, and, yeah. and it, it seems to me that, that you're saying also, we, I don't know that it takes more time or doesn't take more time, but in the end, actually, it kind of takes less time. There are less likely to be other issues as a result. And in fact, that follow-up visit can be less time in itself if the animal isn't fearful. And most importantly, it's results that matter for our companion animals, right? And for your right. clients. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, um, you know, we talked a bit about, uh, you know, all the physiological changes that happen, you know, in an animal when they're stressed. And, 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 and the nice thing about fear-free is that it normalizes these changes. So it, make, it makes the patient more normal. And so by doing that, yes, you'll save a lot of time. Like, you know, if you have a, a cat that's, that's totally stressed and, and becomes aggressive and is trying to attack you or, or a big German shepherd or, you know, and, and, and you have to have two or three people pinning the dog down or, or the cat or scruffing the cat. And, you know, you can't do your job right. You know, you can't assess your patient, to, you know, properly and, you know, and it doesn't work and, and it ends up taking a lot of time, you know. So, so why not try to avoid that by doing the fear-free? Yeah. You know, I mean, I've seen videotapes of veterinarians going back in time. I'm talking about the 1960s or the 1970s, perhaps, and I've seen videotapes where I cannot help but think in the back of my mind, they've actually made matters physically worse for that animal as well, depending on what the need, for example, for that surgery is. So if it is a cruciate or a knee surgery, as you suggest, by, I don't want to use this word, but I will, manhandling the dog. And right. I've seen that. We've all seen that in older videos. I am not suggesting veterinarians do that today. But but what I am saying is even some of what's done today, we can do better. That's me on this pulpit without knowing anything about surgery is saying, you're the guy who knows about surgery. Am I making any sense? You're totally making a lot of sense, you know. And, and there is probably still too much, you know, manhandling of, you know, of the patient. And that's, and that's not good for the patient, but it's also, uh, you know, it's also not good for us, the veterinarians. That's in right. In the sense that nobody feels good after having to, you know, again, quote unquote, fight with a dog to get them to, you know, get the job done, let's say, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and uh, uh, the staff certainly doesn't feel good about that. Your staff, and and you know, it takes it takes years to train, for example, a veterinary technician. And then, if they want to work in a specialty practice, you have to train them. Sometimes months to really train them, and and have a good, you know, good technicians working for you, and then uh, and and the other support staff as well, because that's you know that's a specialty thing. And you know, and if if you uh, if you incorporate fear free, I can guarantee that it's going to help keep these people around because, you know, again, they don't like to fight with patients and they don't, you know, they, they like the fear free approach. You know, I, I, as a mobile surgeon myself, but I used to be in, in, you know, in specialty practice as well for, you know, over 12 years, um, you know, but now as a mobile surgeon doing a lot of fear free, I can tell you that the, the staff, uh, you know, 
when they do surgery on my patients and and I've used uh, you know fear free methods and and and, and pre visit pharmaceuticals and so on. Uh, they tell me, you know, could you have a word with our vet, you know, and you know, so that they use more uh, fear free approach and, and pharmaceuticals and so on. So, you know, so the staff is generally already on board with this, and and it's been shown with general practice, but I'm sure it's true with with specialty practices as well. Is that it's going to help you hold on to your staff as well, you know, and so uh, so it's not only. I mean, of course, our job is about our patient. But, uh, but, you know, it's also about the owner. It's also about your staff, uh, you know, and yourself. I'm sure I would, what I often say to people is, you know, like, how much fun are you having? You know, like, for me, it's more fun to do fear free. I have more fun now than I had, uh, you know, when I was not doing fear free. So, and it's important to have fun at work. So, and this is, if things go smoothly and it takes five, you know, and it takes five minutes more, well, so be it. And like you said, next time, things are probably going to be smoother. And, and, you know, at the end of the day and at the end of your career, I don't think that it's, you're going to have wasted any time on this, really. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and you're going to be just as efficient. 762 points. Well put in one podcast. You set a record. <clears throat> Dr. Dennis Filbert, seriously, thank you very, very much uh, for joining me today and uh, really informational and a lot of it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. My pleasure. If you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings. Access the new toolbox items and find all the additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing veterinary practice certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon this podcast, learn more. And here's this resource, fearfreehappyhomes.com.